Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you. A big, big, big win for the Edmonton Oilers. Very sweet, Bruce, in so many ways. They go into California, they win all three against the LA Kings in a game where the refs were shafting them and the Oilers in the first period. Started to even up as the game went along. Anyway, it was a 3-2 victory for the Oilers over the Kings. And um, just a lot to like about that game. Um, some things not to like, and we're going to get into all of it. How are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. That's uh, that, that was an important two points to get and an important regulation win to get to uh, kind of put the you know foot on the throat of the uh, LA Kings on the on the season. Now the Oilers win the uh, season series from the Kings six points to three, and. Uh, that three-point margin there is the margin Edmonton's now ahead of LA. Uh, so that's uh, uh, they've done it head-to-head, and in particular, two very tough wins in Los Angeles. 89 points for the Oilers, 86 for the Kings, and the Oilers have a game at hand. They're seven points up on Vegas now, and well, uh, that's tied. The Vegas are coming to town. I'm actually going to go to that game. Oh yeah, my son uh, Jack is visiting in town, so for a birthday right. present, we're going to his game, uh, going to that game. Right, looking forward to it. Right. That's a Saturday afternoon game, right? It is, yeah, a week Saturday. So, all right, um, this will be our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Bruce, what is your good thing? All right, uh, well, my good thing is the goal that put Edmonton ahead to stay. Uh, the 2-1 goal that sort of went against the flow of a second period that was spent mostly in Edmonton's end. And this was a play that started in Edmonton's end. Uh, the goal was scored by uh, Warren Fogle uh, with 4.34 on the clock. But what happened leading up to the goal was all six Oilers on the ice touched the puck in succession. It was, in fact, a six-way passing play sort of one you don't see too often in this league, and it was legitimate passes by all five guys who passed it, uh, starting with Mike Smith, who uh, fielded a puck uh, behind his net, and he made a crisp uh, pass to Duncan Keith around the hash marks in their own zone. Uh, Keith made just a short uh, but clever pass to uh, Nugent Hopkins, also in Edmonton's zone, and uh, Nugent found Evan Bouchard on the far side of the ice, and then Bouchard had some room to actually move with the puck. And he uh, chipped it ahead to uh, Derek Ryan, who uh, went bursting in on the right wing and made a superb cross-ice pass that Warren Fogle absolutely slammed into the middle of into the net. And this was not a period after I said to my wife that uh, Warren Fogel likes to barge the net. It's too bad he doesn't know what to do when he gets there. And he put the lie to me, and uh, and rightly so, because he sure knew what to do that time. He just ripped that one and uh, passed quick and in. It was a 10-second span from 4.44 when Smith fielded the puck to 4.34 for six Oilers and zero Kings, including Quick ever touched the puck in that whole sequence of click, 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 bam. 
That was Ryan's second really nice pass of the game. Right. He had set up um, Evander Kane in the first period um, with a very... Bouchard had kicked that one off too, I think, with a pass. And then Ryan made this diagonal dart over to Kane who put it on net. Um, yeah, Fogel Bruce. I did a I did a post just today or yesterday, I can't remember which day, on Pulley-Arvey's, um trouble cashing in on grade-A shots. There's only one forward on the order who's having more bad luck on his grade-A shot. So a grade-A shot usually goes in 20% plus times, usually on average about, uh, well, I can tell you exactly heading into this game, 24.3% of the time, the grade-A shots that we have counted this year have gone in. So Pulley-Arvey's at 16%, which is not... <laughs> He anyway, and he had another. He had a great shot tonight, an absolutely great shot, and he didn't score. And Fogel, mm-hmm. um, he went into the game at fourteen point five percent of his Grade A shots going in. So he's had a lot of. He's had. Um, let me see, sixty-two Grade A shots, Bruce, and he's only scored on nine of them. Now he's got ten on that Grade A shot. That was a five alarm. That was a you know a fantastic finish. Was, it, it would be. Yeah, Fogel should have about 15 goals, um, you know, if he was on average. So, um, good to see him score. Nice play by uh, Warren Fogel. By the way, the grade A shots in the game were 14 to 12 for the Kings. But when it came to five alarm shots, which we figure are about 33% of the time plus going in, it's equivalent of having a breakaway chance. And he usually includes like one-timers shots right in front of the net or, um, you know, rebounds come to you right in front of the net, those kinds of plays. Oh, uh, the Oilers had eight. Yeah, or a pass. The Oilers had eight and the Kings just had six. So it was a fairly close game overall. Uh, Mike Smith had another really strong game. But my good thing, Bruce, is the way the Oilers closed out that game. So um, after the Kings scored at 13.01 of the third period to make the game 3-2. to two. It was looking a little grim. You know, we, we, we're all probably getting that feeling, of, oh, oh, here we go again. The Oilers are going to give up another third period lead. But I thought after that, everyone played, everyone picked their play up a, a notch. Everyone's puck management uh, in, their, in the Oilers zone got a little bit better. Everyone's defense got a little bit Crisper McDavid flattened someone behind the net. You know, Drysaddle held the puck in his own zone, made some really solid passes. And um, it, it was fantastic. There was only one more really great shot for the LA Kings. That was with a minute 43 left when they made a diagonal uh, pass down for the one-timer. And Smith made the save. It, But it, the, the great play kind of culminated in the last 30 seconds of the game when the Oilers won the puck and kept it in the LA end. Hyman, Drysaddle, and McDavid forechecked the snot oh. out of the Kings. It was just a, it was a thing of beauty. That was perfection. <clears throat> it really was. It was, it was a thing of beauty, but it was part and parcel of what we had been seeing building. The Edmonton Oilers getting a lead and for 10 minutes, at least, you know, for 13 minutes playing really great hockey, really great defensive hockey. We haven't seen that enough for me to have a lot of confidence in this team in the playoffs, being able to hold leads and uh, it's absolutely critical that they they develop this that they they that they f- focus on this that they get this down they make this happen in the end they made it happen tonight so 
Yeah, that last uh, 42.4 seconds was uh, as good as it gets. I mean, who needs an empty net goal when you can do what they did there? The goalie, could, the other team couldn't even pull its goalie. Drysaddle won the faceoff at center ice to CC to Nurse. He chipped it up to McDavid. He chipped it up uh, without icing it uh, up the boards. Drysaddle was able to get in the corner, and then Zach Hyman went to work. And uh, twice Hyman circled behind the net and held the puck in the corner. And and McDavid and Drysaddle ably supported him, and the defense never had anything more to do with it. In fact, I don't think the puck ever got above the dots in uh in la's territory in the last 30 seconds it was just locked down there and that's sweet uh, that's that's absolutely beautiful to watch with a one goal lead and that clock ticking uh, i should add that in those 13 minutes when the Oilers shut them down they didn't actually park the bus they they had four grade a chances themselves to one for the kings and uh two of those were at even strength there was mcdavid's pass from to pull rv in the slot and then a great heads-up pass from Smith that kicked off a, a breakaway sequence with Fogel putting it to Ryan, who went in on a on a break. So um, and they got a penalty. Yeah, that's right. So um, great sequence overall for the Edmonton Oilers. Bruce, what is your bad thing? <sighs> yeah, I got to go to the one-one goal early in the second period. Uh, Edmonton played, I thought, really well in the first period. They held LA to four shots. Uh, they scored a goal, you know, a well-earned goal by McDavid, and they had the best chances by far to add to that, uh, uh, add to that lead. Quick, uh, made some good st- saves. Then early in the second period, Hyman got high stick, and they drew a two-minute power play. And you're thinking, oh, this would be a good time, you know, make it two nothing. And instead, the power play immediately falls asleep and gives up. Uh, shorthanded goal, and the whole period of work was basically undone in sort of five to ten seconds of of weak hockey. You know, they lost uh, possession in the LA zone that came out. Uh, Tyson Berry went back. Only one forward came back with him. Philip Deneau was all over Berry on the forecheck, and he was able to win the puck free to uh, uh, Trevor Moore. Moore. Trevor Moore, yes. Uh, and he uh, uh, and he was Leon's man, and Leon just took a terrible angle to him. Like, yeah, he he looked like a he did not look like a defenseman, as you said in the notes, and you were absolutely yeah. correct in that assessment. He did not look like a defenseman. He looked like a forward trying to trying to uh, get on the you know the offensive side of the puck. But better to do that when you actually have the puck, which he didn't. And Moore just snuck by him, and he had a clear path right to the net because none of the other forwards were tracking back at all. And they have a very low sense of danger. It's like it's our puck on the power play. We own the puck. The other guys aren't going to do anything. That's you know, it's it's our puck. And in their own zone, they get a little lack, lackadaisical. And if the other team does the high pressure thing, mistakes happen, and sometimes high grade chances happen, and sometimes those are goals, as this was. And not just that, like that came early in the power play, uh, 30 seconds into the power play, and the rest of that power play was pure crap. The Oilers did nothing. They got no shots on the power play, and, and the game that had been sort of flowing in Edmonton's territory, coming out, going into the power play, coming out of the power play, the lead was gone, the momentum was all gone, and L.A. was all of a sudden all over Edmonton for the next 10 minutes. I think they had 15 shots in the first 10 minutes of the second period. And it was only through some 
Uh, pretty good net mining by Mike Smith, especially during an LA power play that generated was it five, six shots, and uh, they came out of that tide that eventually they were able to regain control uh, in the back half of that second period. But uh, uh, they lost control of the game for a time because their power play fell asleep. That Trevor Moore is a good hockey player. He, is. he um, the LA got him from Toronto. He's another like they picked up Dirtsy from Toronto and Trevor Moore. In that same of, trade? No, it wasn't in oh, the uh, Muzzin trade. It was it was uh, along with a pair of third round draft picks with Moore in exchange for Kyle Clifford and goalie Jack Campbell. So Campbell has really worked out for the uh, the the Maple Leafs. Like they've gotten really some good value out of him. But it looks like LA's maybe not that unhappy with that deal either because this guy can play some hockey. He's um got five he, shorties he, now, so it's not an accident that he got one tonight. He was five years with the Leafs system, and um, yeah, they didn't hold on to him. Uh, boo-hoo. Uh, my, ba- my bad thing, Bruce, was um, after the Oilers scored their goal in the third period, um, Bouchard, um, just a fantastic, he walks the line, fantastic. What a great game Evan Bouchard had moving the puck and making plays. And uh, in, in, this is going to happen. He is such a highly skilled player. And as we've noted, he makes so many great plays with the puck. Um, so many major contributions to grade A shots. More than any defenseman we've seen in the order since we've tracked this. Um, he's going to get some points. And it's been a while. But uh, he got them tonight. And that was a fantastic shot, you know, through two Kings defenders. And I think it hit one of them. Anyway, after that goal, <clears throat> you're up three to one. You've got 15 minutes left. And what happens 20 seconds after that goal or 30 seconds after that goal, the Oilers collapse and they, they give up a breakaway. And it was almost every play. In my mind, Bruce, it was we might disagree a little bit on some of this, but I, I, I think it was almost every player on the ice who was responsible. What we see is a fast attack up the middle of the ice and you can't, you've got, when you're protecting lead, you've got to shut down that kind of speed through the middle of the ice attacking your defenseman. And I felt Dreisaitl uh, failed to do that. Kopitar has the puck on the boards. Leon's got to angle him to the boards, take away that center center pass, that option, make, you know, funnel that puck to the boards and pot, if he can, thwart him there, stop him on the boards. If not, keep it on the boards. Instead, he flies by and Kopitar picks off uh, the player shooting up the middle of the ice, um, Kempe, who's Yamamoto's man. Yamamoto was even with Kempe in the Flames zone. He had him completely, and suddenly he doesn't have him at all. Oh, and Kempe, wow. who is a fast guy and fast accelerator, accelerates real fast, and and Darnell Nurse gets caught out. It's happened, you know, it's happening a little too much with Darnell Nurse. His reads are incorrect. In this situation, he's not quick enough in these moments to recognize the danger. He's up too high. CC also gets caught out. CC at least is covering his man. It's a little bit. I, I mainly put it on Nurse, and and Campe's um, in on a breakaway, which um, there's a penalty taken on it. So, but and a stop, a f- very fine stop by Mike Smith. So <clears throat> you can't have that. 
you've got the lead, shut them down. Don't let them come through hard through the middle of the ice like that. Stop that from happening. They kill off the penalty, but right after it, there's another breakdown. Everything gets caught in their own end. And, and this time it's McDavid behind the net. He gives away the puck. And then Yesapuliarvi gives away the puck. And then they come out, move into the slot, and through one or two screen players, including Cody Cece, they get a, a difficult shot on net and they score a goal. So again, this was McDavid just not, like, unless you're sure, just hold the puck against the boards. No. You're under pressure. Just kill the puck. Um, you're protecting a lead at this point. You know, this, this isn't the time for a blind back, blind backhand pass up the boards to a player who wasn't expecting it in Pugliarvi. And then, you know, Pugliarvi coughed it up. So it was a two plays, Bruce, where they didn't bear down enough in my mind. And after that, they did. It, it woke up every player, I think, who, who was involved in those plays. Those two lines specifically played a lot better down the stretch. And I think their mistakes might have had something to do with that. Yeah, that, last week when the Oilers played the Kings, yours and my bad things were both goals that LA scored right after Edmonton made it three to one in the second period, and they scored twice in sixty seconds right after that. And uh, I was decrying the fact that they couldn't consolidate once they got the second goal, sort of build their lead a little bit. What you really want to do is is just consolidate that, and you know, have a few shifts where nothing happens, and that time, you know, L.A. scored on the very next play and then they scored again on the next play after that. Well, this time, L.A. got a breakaway in the next play and got got a power play. And, you know, all of a sudden, Edmonton's back on their heels. And there's no explaining it. Because you think, <laughs> we go, maybe they remember, hey, 3-1, maybe we just better bear down a little bit now. But anyway, as you say, once they got to 3-2, for the most part, they uh, they did the job. But that was a, that was a lapse. And, you know, they made it through the, the penalty kill, but they never got the, you know, even a whistle where it was three to one and five on five. Um, you know, I'm, I've been harping a lot on this. I did last week and I, here I am again tonight, but I'm doing it for a reason. I think this is a really good team that has a chance to win playoff series. They really do. They will not do it, though. They will not do it unless they can start to protect leads. And you protect leads by playing fundamentally sound defensive hockey, where you're paying close attention to what your job is on the ice and, and the fundamental play and making the fundamental play on defense. So whoever it is, whether it's your best player or your worst, if they're not doing it, and especially if it's your best player, because you're, you're gonna, they're going to be it on the ice most. They've got to do these things for the Oilers to win in the playoffs. Everyone says, draw how much McDavid and Drysaddle want to win. I have no doubt that, that is true. Well, these are the plays they've got to make if they want to win. So, hence uh, my mentioning them often. Bruce, what's your number? Yeah, uh, my number is six, David, and that is uh, for the six games in a row that the Edmonton Oilers have won. For the first time in six years, the Oilers have a six-game winning streak. They've gotten to five several times uh, each of the last two years, once under Dave Tippett. This year, once under Tippett and three times under Jay Woodcroft, they got five in a row, and they finally got the uh, uh, were able to win. The, and each time they lost the sixth game, and this time they were. Pardon me, that came out of nowhere. 
And I was going back to see the six game last six game winning streak that they had, which was in Connor McDavid's rookie season of 2015-16. And oddly enough, it occurred during the lengthy span that McDavid was injured with his broken clavicle uh, in early December of uh, of uh, 2015. They beat Boston 3-2 in a shootout. They beat Dallas 2-1 in overtime. They beat Buffalo. They beat San Jose 4-3 in overtime against the Rangers. This was Glenn Sather night. I was at this game, and they blew 3-1 and 5-3 leads, but came out in top 7-5. And then all that time, they were using um, uh, Anders Nilsson, the uh, Swedish... Uh, <laughs> That's a long time ago. Swedish goalie monster. That was his season here. And then when they played in Boston on the Monday... Cam Talbot got to start, and he was absolutely fantastic. And the order stole the game in overtime in Boston for the sixth win in a row. But uh, uh, they quickly lost the next three in a row and uh, seven of the next eight to get back the six wins they got. And, of course, this was a team that was well under 500 for the uh, for the season. But for a little while, they had lightning in a bottle, and, boy, were they catching a lot of breaks and winning a lot of tight overtime games. But when you think about it, the current streak, they won three of these six games in uh, gimmick time as well, right? They beat the Kings in in, uh, the shootout. They beat the Blues in overtime. They beat the Sharks in overtime. But, you know, they they were able to find a way to win those games. And you always got to have a little bit of luck. No no team's going to win six in a row, five to one or something, right? There's going to be tight games. But uh, it's nice to get through that sort of imaginary wall at five and to extend that winning streak and at a time of the season where it matters so much you know they've gone from yeah. being sort of very tenuous playoff uh, uh position at one point they were uh they were 53 percent to make the playoffs but they were the ninth favorite in the west so there were eight teams that had better odds than they did Ooh. Uh, so you know not exactly a comfortable spot and now they're up in well into the 90s. I'm sure after today it'll probably be pushing 95 tomorrow, and you know, win six games in a row. That'll happen. The thick of a playoff race. So uh, a hugely great time to uh, uh, to uh, come up with a with a, a streak like that, 12 points in six games. And Bruce, they they have a 618 points percentage. I understand that the 618 points percentage is, is a kind of a 618 is a special number in some way. What is that? It's a golden ratio. 0.618033873293238. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful number. Uh that is the ratio of consecutive Fibonacci numbers. They they uh converge towards the golden ratio. And uh, it can be expressed as uh, 0.61 or 1.61. They they kind of they kind of work. Each ratio is the same one to the next. 1.61 to one is the same as one to 0.61. It is a wonderful bit of uh, of um, uh, number theory and uh, a beautiful structure. So I'll take your word for it, Bruce. Wonderful to behold. I've spent a lot of time on that one. Hard to explain I... it. 50 words though fair enough i i i heard about it the other day someone was saying I, I heard someone saying that the ideal um 
in terms of female perspective of males, the ideal waist to shoulder ratio is that number for uh, for um, women's uh, perception of men. So the Jay Woodcroft, go ahead. You have a you have a an addendum to the the golden. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I do. Because uh, they have 89 of a possible 144 points, and 89 is a Fibonacci <clears throat> number, and 144 is also a Fibonacci number. They're consecutive one to the next. So the ratio between those two, 0.618, is bang on. Since Jay Woodcroft took over now, 29 games, 40 points, 690 point percentage. Is that accurate? Maybe I've maybe I've got to go a little further ahead. Is it 29 games that he's done? Do you recall? Uh, he came in at game uh, after <clears throat> game 44, so he's done 28 no, games. It's 28 games, so they have yeah. 28 games and 40 points, yeah, and a 714, 714, nine, uh, se- 19, seven and two, isn't it? Correct. 19 nice. wins in 28 games. Good for you, Jay Woodcroft. Good for you. Are you in the school of sign Jay Woodcroft now? Absolutely. School? I'm in the sign of sign Jay Woodcroft when the time is right. Uh, but now would be fine. I think, you know, he's shown, uh, you know, take the interim tag off him. On the other hand, you know, if you've got a good thing going on, mm-hmm. the time to sign the guy is, uh, is uh, you know, when stuff settles down a little bit. I mean, Craig Berube. Uh, he was a uh, interim coach for St. Louis when they won the cup, and only after the cup was was sealed a couple weeks later did uh, St. Louis get along, around to uh, giving him a three-year contract and removing the interim tag. And it's not like Berube went out on the open market and said, "Sign me, sign me, I'm available." And I can't imagine Jay Woodcroft would do anything but angle for the job that he's already got with the players that he already knows. And, a situation that suits him so well. Why? Why would he uh, mess around? Well, that's it. I mean, it's not like I don't see the imperative. Like I, some people are getting up in arms about this. I have noticed that, and um, I like. I don't want to be superstitious, but you got a good thing going here. Why screw it up with a long-term contract? Like, um, if this is working. Go with it. You'll you'll probably still have every intention of signing Jay Woodcroft and every ability to sign him, no matter what happens here. So um, I, I'm not that. I'm come see come saw with that. Whatever happens is is fine with me. Um, I can see the I can see waiting um, because again you do have something good going. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. Bruce, my well, numbers not, are not go like ahead. he's going to become disincentivized though. Yeah, well, that's true too. Not like he's Zach Cassian signing a contract. <laughs> and suddenly, the hunger is a different matter. Uh, indeed. I don't see that happening with this guy. I think he is uh, going to be a good coach for a very long time. I think so too. Uh, my number, speaking of hunger, is, is from a hungry stats block shots. Mm-hmm. The team leaders today were Cody Ceci with uh, five and Darnell Nurse with six. They're the top pairing on the Oilers. They did not have a perfect game. We talked about a big mistake they made in the third period earlier. But they played good games. 
and uh, tough games, hard games. And I think that that shot, that stat, uh, kind of epitomizes um, the work they did in the in the tough areas, um, blocking shots. Um, it's a painful uh, task. It takes a lot of guts to do that. And they both did it and got the job done tonight. The Oilers really need these two to uh, excel defensively. A lot is asked of them to face top, the top competition of the opponents every single night. And um, they hang in there. They're not killing it. They're not shutting it down. They're hanging in there. And they hung in there tonight, I'm going to suggest. And uh, that block shot numbers uh, is indicative of that. Yeah, CC's pretty good at being in the lanes and kind of being in the way, you know. And he's not, like, going to take guys out with heavy hits, but uh, he's going to join the battle and he's going to win his share and he's not going to give up a whole lot for free. He gets beat, but he's not, he's not uh, you know, he, he gets beat usually from pretty good position. And, uh, you know, you fill the lanes, you know, if your pucks are going to hit you. And what the block shot stat doesn't show, in my opinion, is it doesn't show the shots that aren't taken because you're in the lane. Right? It shows the ones that hit you because yeah. you're in the lane. Guys that are constantly filling the lane that are, are uh, changing, you know, the other team's plan. I can't shoot because there's a guy there. i got to pass it off. i got to pass it off. And when, when you have, uh, uh, you know, a team that's consistently in the lane, sometimes you see a whole lot of those perimeter passes and not many shots. So... so. So CC got a lot of criticism in both Ottawa and Toronto. He went to Pittsburgh last year and he got a lot of praise. There were, the, the general consensus in Pittsburgh is this is a good hockey player. And I think by the end of the year, he was playing top four most of the time. He came to Edmonton um, and he's played top four and now he's in the top pairing. And Bruce, I'm going to say that he has been, he's a different player than Adam Larson. He's not as good a defender as Adam Larson. He's not as physical, but he's as good a player overall as Adam Larson, in my estimation, because he brings a bit more on the attack than Adam Larson ever brought. He's a better puck mover, better shooter. So when you're, when you're, yeah, when you when you average it all out, when you weigh in all the factors, he's a he's as effective a hockey player as Adam Larson, and that's a shock to me that the Oilers were able to go on the market and replace Adam Larson with a player who's who's effect, as effective though in a different way than Larson. Um, wasn't expecting that, so kudos to the scouting staff, whoever that was on the scouting staff. I don't know um, who was the exact person who said, this is our guy, or if it's more of a group decision, it's you know it might be that. But whoever that is, good work. Um, he has really come through for the Edmonton Oilers this year. Um, probably, I, I think, their best defenseman overall. I saw him as being a 4-5 guy coming in where he's either going to be a you know a good support player on the second pairing which is where he started out or else being the main man on the third pairing and and that's a player you can afford at three and a quarter million dollars even your number five if he's capable of moving up yeah what i did not see was cc becoming a mainstay on the first pairing so which he has been now more or less since Woodcroft and Manson took over. They they put those guys together. Tippett had experimented with them a little bit. Yeah. But uh, Manson and uh, Woodcroft have gone uh, nurse CC pretty much the whole way. 
and they face a lot of toughs. And you know, some nights their stats don't look that great, but uh, uh, they, uh, uh, you know, they play the big minutes and they, and they allow the you know the Barrys and the Bouchards uh, to play a little bit softer competition. And last game it was Bar- or two games ago it was Barry and Kulak that were ripping up the Ducks, and tonight it was Bouchard that was ripping up the, the Kings. And in part because those guys didn't have to play against the uh, as much against the uh, top line guys. And Bouchard had a good game tonight. Didn't he? <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, the kind of game we were hoping you would have consistently this season. Like honestly, right? And he's having it now. He's he had a little easier minutes though, perhaps than he's than uh, when he was struggling earlier on. They played him with Nurse for a while, and that didn't turn out very yeah. well. Um, it's interesting, Bruce. I think actually. I mean, this is obviously going to be a huge challenge these next six games um, for this defensive group. But in the last, during this winning streak and before then, for probably the last 10 games, I don't know how long these defensive pairings have been together exactly, but they've been getting, they've been playing pretty strong hockey. Like Kulak and Barry um, have been strong together. Bouchard and Keith, you know, they're they're not consistent. They They can have bad moments in games. But overall, they've been okay. They've been, it's it's probably been the best pairing that Keith's been with. I'm just guessing here. I mean, Keith has been trending up since um, Christmas. He's yeah. been playing better. And I, and I think he's continuing on with that. He's he's looking better and better. He, he's leaking fewer grade A shots against than he did. And now Bouchard's, you know, getting it together now and then. And tonight in a big way, he had his best game in a long time. So... We'll see this in these next six is a great test for the Oilers heading into the playoffs for these uh, defense pairings to see if they can hold up and get the job done. Like, so, you know, this is one thing of note is all the best defensemen are healthy now. The Oilers didn't have that for a long time and they are healthy. They're playing together and they're, they're playing very, they're playing well. So that's encouraging. Um, and tonight they, they played well in crunch time, which is most encouraging of all. But it's just one game. Yeah, well, they've played. Uh, they've been healthy since at least game sixty. And yeah. Because uh, uh, whenever Russell came back and they put him uh, back in the lineup, and they had uh, Russell and Barry on the on the third pairing, mm-hmm. uh, and the top four as as we see now, and only the arrival of Kulak sort of forced Russell back into the press box to get Kulak into the lineup. In the last eight games, they've gone with the exact same six in every game. So good health on the blue line. It's absolute gold. And nice to have... Sorry, Bruce, go ahead. Compared to the seven-game span earlier in in December of this year where the Oilers used 11 different defensemen because they had... uh, you know, CC out with COVID, <clears throat> and Nurse got hurt, and then Keith got hurt, and uh, other guys got banged up. I think Russell got hurt, and then the next thing you look at the team, and you got defensemen like number 75 and 80 and 84 and 86 and stuff. And you're going, who are all these guys? And, you know, you know, obviously some, some well, you know who they are, but they're, uh, and they had even, uh, you know, Samarkov that they brought up, who was sort of their fifth call-up yeah, from the AHL. That was when the when the team majorly struggled. It was uh, during that span. And now that they have sort of <clears throat> a continuity on the back end, the team is thriving. Yeah, no surprise to see 
Edmonton doing a doing better with a healthy defense, I guess. So, all right, Bruce. So the next game is what's uh, Saturday? Saturday against Colorado. Early start, 8 p.m. as opposed to 8.30 p.m. Late night kind of week. Against Colorado, I suspect we'll see Mikko Koskinen in that game. And I got to say, kudos to Mike Smith. Three games in California, four goals against 9.59 save percentage. And one game-winning assist. And Tanner had an assist tonight with a with a great pass, and he started the one scoring play with another good pass. You know, it was uh, was uh, a good trip for uh, the old man. We they... didn't make enough of that assist. I don't like in the last <laughs> podcast. I mean, watching <clears throat> watching it again. What a play! And you know, Bruce, I swear that puck curled uh, uh, mm-hmm. when it hit the. I, it curled like uh, to uh, McDavid. It, it it just it was just such an unreal pass. He bumped it out of reach of Burns, but close enough to Burns that I had to think about puck first. And by the time he turned, McDavid was gone. And you know that the weight the weighted through pass. I mean, Adrian De Bruyne would have been proud of that pass. Like he just <laughs> put it exactly into the path of the intended guy who's you know breaking past the defense and. It was uh, it was a beauty for sure. The low angle end zone replay, fantastic. Yeah. It really shows it well. I included it in my game day yeah. post. The artist tweeted. Hector Vey would have been proud of that draw. I mean, that was a that was an incredible uh, weight and uh, direction. <clears throat> As a proud Newfoundlander, I'll say Brad Guju would have been proud of, proud of that draw. That uh, that draw. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. There's Maybe another Curtis. Was Paul Gausel also from the island? Uh, no, he's from... Uh, is he from Ontario? Cal- or is he from Calgary? It's a long yeah. time ago, Gausel, but he was... Uh, they were the young uh, uh, rebels. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, that was, uh, that was a, a weighted shot that would, uh, that would uh, do those kind of uh, uh, technicians that we mentioned by name. Are proud, you know, that's what they're famous for. It's putting balls into spaces, uh, it, putting rocks, or pucks, or whatever they are into, into into spaces at the right speed. And it's so hard to get it right. It's great to have this little Mike Smith renaissance. You know, like, no matter what happens now, at least he's had some good games. A, a really great little stretch here and a, and a play to remember. <clears throat> we'll see if he can stay healthy or not. I mean, last weekend the poll was ninety-four to six to send him to the minors. He's so. on that poll again, Dave. You think he'd be, <laughs> might be down to eighty to twenty by now, maybe? Well, I bet you it'd be sixty-four <laughs> or fifty-fifty. Things change fast in a week uh, yeah. in the NHL, and um, he he did it. So good for him. And I was hoping he would. I was hoping he would show us all up and put the egg on our face, and he did that. So way to go, Mike Smith. Shoving it up the butt to the detractors, still doing it at 40. <laughs> All righty. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>